lovely to be talking to you. Um, I hope that the stuff that I've brought this evening will be helpful. So we are on our third uh, talk on worship. So this this term has been looking at um, worship from a biblical perspective. Um, And worship is a huge brushstroke word. It means all sorts of things. Um, But in this particular context today, we're going to be looking at John 4, uh, so that's verses 1 to 26, and that's the, the well-known passage of um, uh, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. So that's what we're going to be using, but I might be doing a little bit of jumping around. Um, it's, yeah, because there's, there's so much context and so much history in trying to make sense of some of the uh, in this uh, and sort of hidden messages in this passage. So um, bear with me. If I get to the end of my talk and you're like, "What on earth was she talking about?" That might be partly because um, you're not familiar with the Bible or you're fairly new to faith. Prod someone near you and say, "Can you explain what that meant?" Um, and there will be some amazing person who will be able to unpack some of that for you. Um, so. Um, Two weeks ago, Joe started this off um, talking about worship, and he was talking a little bit about how we are made, we are created to be worshippers. That's part of the creator God's plan for us. We are made to worship, every single one of us. And when I say worship in that context, I'm not talking about musical worship. I'm talking about um, giving ourselves to God, um, ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, and um, recognizing his worthship. So Joe kind of highlighted the fact that we were meant to worship God. And that's something really important to bear in mind. Because actually, if we're not worshiping God, then who are we worshiping? Or what are we worshiping? So there's always this um, little balance there that we need to bear in mind. Mark last week talked about our call to worship and to wor- worship the Father um, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, that God is one and that we're not kind of picking and choosing. We are called to worship the whole of who God is. And this, um, the, the information that I'm going to be sharing this evening is, is, is kind of on the back of that, really, about the fact that God is multifaceted. There is so much more about who God is than we can ever understand. We, you know, we just can't get our heads around it, which is why there's so much picture and so much symbolism in the Bible, just so that we can grasp maybe another facet. So my prayer and my sort of prompting for all of you is as, as I'm speaking and as we go into the rest of the service, that you're asking God and saying, Holy Spirit, show me a little bit more about who you are tonight. Give me another facet. Give me something else of you you know, and that applies to all of us, whether we're old or young, old in faith or young in faith. It's applicable. So I'm going to read um, the passage um, of the Samaritan woman, which is, you know, well known. But I thought before um, I kind of go into scripture that I would talk a little bit about my own testimony. You know, we're called to testify all the time about the stuff that Jesus um, has done in our lives. And part of the journey this evening is setting the context for different parts of the story. And I thought, well, I'll start it with setting the context of of me and my journey a little bit, because you've all met me and you've met me here and you've met me in this context, but you haven't met me not a Christian. 
and you don't know what I used to be like. So I, I just wanted to share a tiny snippet about what I was like before God, which I'm kind of opening up and being a little bit vulnerable with you here. So bear with me. So um, I left home uh, at 18, very young, 18-year-old. I'd literally been 18 a couple of weeks, um, and I went off to drama school. When I was that old, um, I was already uh, quite a stroppy person, um, to to the point where people were frightened of me. Uh, I would be the one glaring in the corner. Um, I would be the one who would hold grudges. I, I got into fights. I was smoking by the time I was 11. In fact, I was dealing cigarettes by the time I was 11. I was drinking by 13. Um, and so, but, you know, get to the age of 18, all the recreational stuff, you know, I'd kind of experienced a lot of that stuff already. Had I had any idea that in you know, 27, 20 years, years' time, I would be a vicar's wife. That would just, <laughs> just unbelievable. So, uh, you know, life, life was not easy. I don't think I was very easy to parent. I don't think my mum and dad really knew what, knew what to do with me. Um, I was very opinionated, and if people said, you do that over there, I would go and do that over there. You know, deliberately rebellious. I got hurt very easily and very, very sensitive Um, And so, already by 18, I was pretty bitter, actually, and had a lot of unforgiveness. Didn't know what that meant, but I, you know, there was a lot of sort of darkness, um, and I felt frightened all the time. So I might might have kind of given a sort of an image of, you know, I'm I'm cool, and, you know, nothing can hurt me. But actually, I wasn't like that at all. I was was frightened and paranoid, um, would sometimes have horrible dreams. Um, But I kind of carried all this around. The positives in my life, that's all the bad stuff. The positives in my life is I had a love for music. I always, I'm from a musical family. Um, I've been playing in bands since I was young. Um, So that was kind of the thing, I guess, that kept me moving in a forwards direction, even though I was kind of going off. Um, When I was 18, I met Mark. I met Mark very early on. I wasn't looking for a relationship, certainly wasn't looking for someone... uh, to marry or to have children with or anything like that. That was somewhere over there. But we met early and started going out with each other. And there was something really different about Mark, um, which I could not explain. It made a little bit more sense when I first met his family. Our relationship had got a little bit more serious at that point. Um, And uh, I had never met a family like it before. There was something really incredible. So already the kind of cogs were wearing a little bit, and I was thinking, I want that. I want to be like that. Um, And then we ended up at a church service in central London, big student church. Uh, The worship was just incredible. And I had been invited by a flatmate and miraculously said yes, although I don't know why on earth I said yes at the time. And I was just completely overwhelmed with the presence of God, watching students primarily on their knees worshipping Jesus. There was just something incredible. And the power of God in that place and the release of worship, people just being able to worship was just, well, it's literally transforming. That night I gave my life to Jesus um, and have been with him ever since. He spoke my love language. He came and found me in the music. And that's where the journey... So you kind of know me now, but that was my journey 
from there on in. So, back to the passage. Um, So, uh, Jesus talks with the Samaritan woman. I don't know what page this is on the Bible, if you want to follow it, but we are going from uh, John 1, verse, sorry, John 4, verse 1 to 26. What's that, Peter? 1007. Ding, 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 ding. We're on a mission tonight. Sorry. <laughs> Panto land. <laughs> uh, okay. So, starting at the first uh, verse. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, this was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone into town to buy food." The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We come... uh, Sorry, I've lost my place. (laughs) You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We come when... Uh, when Thank you. Uh, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said... I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one, speaking to you. I am he. So, sorry about that. Lost my place. Uh, Okay, so just very quickly, setting 
setting this a little bit in context, um, I'm, am I crackling a lot? Sorry, guys. I'm just, what am I doing wrong? Thanks. Hello? Hello. One, two, one, two. Right, okay. So, um, the, so the, the context of the, uh, si the situation that we, we've just kind of run into at the beginning of this is that um, there's been a, a, a bit of a situation with Jesus and the disciples and some stuff that's gone on with John um, and his followers, and they have chosen to kind of move on. Um, and the first thing we kind of recognize is that uh, Jesus goes off on his own, and the disciples go and get food, and he is tired and needs to rest. So that's the first thing I, I just want to land there. Jesus, Son of God, Almighty, is tired and he needs to rest. I'll just leave that with you. Okay, so that's the first thing. Um, so he comes across a woman from Samaria, a Samaritan woman, and they, they, he starts a conversation with them. And it's really important to understand what this is in just in itself, before anything's happened or any uh, conversation has kind of, sort of exchanged between the two of them. The fact that they are near each other and that Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman, which would never happen, is incredibly significant. And we're sort of drawn to that as the reader, that this is odd. This is an odd moment. What is Jesus doing? And going back to the account in 1 Kings 12, we find out a little bit of history of, of what happened with the Samar Samaritan uh, people. And there was a time um, back then, and if you, if you want to go back and have a look at, at the, the whole account, because um, I haven't got time to sort of land in, in that place, but if you want to do that, that's 1 Kings 12. But the nation of Israel at this particular point is divided, and you've got the, those in the north and those in the south. The Samaritans were part of that. That was the kind of main capital city. And they were, um, yeah, so they were in the north. And the, the, the rest of the Jews who lived in the south, the, the two became separate. And they were separate physically, but over time and during different wars and different things that were kind of set in place to try and unite them, they became particularly separate on the subject of worship. And it was that that, that caused the Jews to not want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. Does that make sense so far? So they... So they you know, the, the picture was you go to Jerusalem and you worship in the temple. And at that point, the Samaritans chose to not follow that tradition anymore. They went and worshipped in the mountains. They built idols. And at the same time, with all the other things that were changing on the, in the landscape there, they started to intermarry with the Assyrians as well, which was also a massive no-no. So you can imagine when they start behaving like that, the Jews become more and more separate and they get to the point where they have nothing to do, even though originally they would have all been part of the tribes of Israel. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Um, so just the fact that Jesus is there near a Samaritan woman is one big picture of 
Jesus up to doing something different. There's something about to change. And we see that there. Um, Also, men wouldn't have anything to do with women they didn't know. That was also a massive no-no. So Jewish... um, A faithful Jewish man would not be seen talking to a woman on his own or her own. Um, You did not do that. Women were seen as a distraction. Women were also seen as unclean for various reasons. So, So again, we've got this funny bridge. Jesus is just standing right in the midst of it all, doing the things that he shouldn't be doing. And it's making us kind of look in. Um, The first thing he says is... Can I have a drink? Will you give me a drink? And she is shocked by this request. But it also has a deeper level. So if you go back again into the Old Testament and you're looking at the law and the time around there, a drink offering, so to be given a drink, was the divine goodness of truth. So we're already seeing something about truth. There's something kind of being woven in here about Jesus having a conversation is all wrapped up in symbolism. And he's saying, would you give me a drink? Will you you give me a sacrifice of praise? Will you recognize that I am truth? Okay, and obviously he doesn't, as he often does, he speaks in riddles for a while until he reveals. But there's just, again, he's just sowing a little bit more there. The woman misses the point. And I think, this, I think this is just brilliant, because it's just a picture of what we're all like. So he's asking her a deep spiritual question, and she responds with just a really practical one, and, and isn't hearing. Um, and how often do we get stuck in our worship? How often do we, do we have kind of little obstacles and little practicalities, when actually what Jesus just wants is your heart over everything else? That's all, that's all he wants. He just wants your heart. Um, So we're looking today at spirit and truth. So as the passage goes on, Jesus lands with, um, if I can find it, do you know what the problem is? I haven't got my reading glasses. <laughs> it's really bad. So yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. So we are being called to do things differently. And when Jesus is standing by the well, he is, he's making this bridge between the idea of worship that is organized and in a physical place, so the Jews, worship that happens free and up on the mountains, the Samaritans, and he's saying it's neither of those things. It's about me and the truth, and he's setting something different. Um, Alison, can I just have my first um, slide up? Is that all right? So you might not be able to see all that. Um, This brings me into the next bit. So this is a context of the temple. Because I, to understand the significance of what Jesus is doing by being, just having that conversation with a Samaritan woman, we need to go back and think about what worship means to uh, those people who are, fr- who are from that, the Israelite tradition. I'll kind of keep it wide there. So if you, if you can make it out, um, this is the gate into the inner courts where the purple line is. And if you counted the number of obstacles 
that take you all the way up to the veil, there are eight. Okay, there are eight reasons why you can't go in. And the women, incidentally, would have been somewhere up here. That's as far as they were ever allowed to go in. The priests would be able to come in and maybe in here, but only once a year would one chief of priests would actually be able to go in, and that would be very briefly, and he'd be straight back out again. Okay? So this is a picture of the physical temple. Um, and there are... So we've got things that you will have heard just in Scripture. They, they're kind of um, mentioned from time to time in different passages. But the first thing that you might see even though it's a bit blurred, is entrance gate, okay? And then we've got the altar of burnt offerings. Um, and I can get a little bit closer, so we'll, we'll jump a few here, because I ha again, I haven't got time to go into all of them. But you get to the veil. We know about the veil. Where, where's the veil mentioned? The crucifixion. So it gets torn in two. So it's a really significant picture of what Jesus has done. And then finally, we get to the Shekinah, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. So we get to that place. Before Jesus was here, there, none of us would have been able to go anywhere near him. And we would only be able to do things from a very, very sort of outside, objective way. You could only do um, the, the idea of actually directly singing, worshipping, praying to God in that context was an absolute no-no. Um, so that's the first one. But this is the bit that just I, just so cool. So if you go to the next slide, Alison. Um, this is a picture of the temple in the context of what Jesus has done. So these are all the things that he's done that have changed and made away, and you can literally see, um, Joe just did Waymaker, which is very cool, because you can see there's a little path, little sort of gold path that goes all the way through to the Ark of the Covenant, and it, he literally has made a way for us to get in. So when we go back, we get to the gate, well, Jesus calls himself the, the gate, okay? So we've got Bible references up here as well, so, so um, we've got Psalm references, and we've got a reference in John there. Um, he is the Lamb of God. He is the sacrifice. So there's no more having to give sacrifice because Jesus himself sacrificed himself once and for all. Um, he cleanses us with his living water. Um, he is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. Can you see the overlaps? So this sits over the top of the temple and gives us a, a beautiful picture. He is our high priest who makes intercession for us. That's in Hebrews 7. His body is the veil. His body was broken for us, and it tore into, and we were able to make that last step in to that place with Jesus. His blood on mercy seat, he is at the Father's right hand. And again, these have all got their biblical references. So that's um, Hebrews, and also mentioned in Ephesians and Colossians. So when we talk about worship, it's not singing us some songs. I want you to think about it from, from a really deep truth, a biblical truth. So Jesus, when he's having that conversation with that woman at the well, all of this context would be kind of happening around them. Does that make sense so far? Are you with me? Because we've gone a bit quiet. 
Yes? Um, okay. So there's also something nice about this picture because it gives us a little flavor of how we're to respond as worshipers. So we are called to worship. Every single one of us. We don't have to be musical to be worship. Um, but we are all called to do it. Worship is mentioned so many times in the Bible, but just musical worship is mentioned 1,150 times in the Bible. So it's significant. It's not a choice, and it's not an added extra. There is something about the exchange or the transaction that takes place when you lean in and you share your heart with God. At that time, he meets us and shares his heart with us, and that's where you have that moment. And it it happens in lots of places, but what Jesus has done is he's made a way where we can have that intimacy with him. We can get close, really, really close to him. So um, if you wanted to just open your Bibles to um, Psalm 100, and just, it's a very short psalm. This is a really, really helpful way of thinking about how do I worship in the context of temple, um, And in the context of us talking about what that's like now as a church family. So um, I've already mentioned in the previous one there there were eight obstacles to get there. And there are also kind of four sections of the temple. We've got sort of the outer part, we've got the inner part, we've got the holy place, and we've got the holy of holies. Um, So basically, if you were a Gentile, you weren't allowed to go anywhere near it. Um, women had to be in the um, outer courts, um, and then there was a kind of pecking order as to who could go in. But because Jesus has done what he's done, and because we can come in, then there's just this really lovely picture in the Psalms. So first of all, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So that is calling us to have a change of attitude. So you might, you might and this might apply to you being in church, or this might be being, you being at home. You might be feeling really grumpy. You might be feeling, you know, where on earth is God? But you take in your Bible, you take in your scripture, you are making a choice to worship the living God. And so you enter into that first part with thanksgiving and with praise. And, you know, that, that's a lovely picture, of, you know, of us sort of fellowshipping together as well. When we're, when we're singing out truths over one another, we're not doing it to make God feel better. God knows he's God. We're doing it to change the atmosphere in our hearts. Because week by week, our hearts get messy. Our thinking gets messy. We've got physical stuff around us that's not helping. And it's really, really easy to lose perspective. So Jesus asked us to do it because we need it. Because he loves us and he wants us to be living life and living life to the full. So that's the first part. The second bit is give thanks to him and praise his name. So we can do thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Can be like we could be saying God's really brilliant, blah, 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 blah. We can be talking about what God does as a church family. We can be singing about what God does. But it, this is slightly different. This is moving into the inner courts. This is where we are praising him. So, so can you see the first bit is about encouraging one another as family. We need that. The second bit is that we are praising him. So our eyes are lifting to him. And again, it's a discipline. So it's not something you might be feeling. 
You know, you might not like the worship leader, you might not like that song that they're doing, you might not like that prayer that's just been prayed, but you are making a choice to worship because we're called to worship and it is right to do that. It also, when we start getting ourselves into the inner courts, we are preparing ourselves for meeting with God. So Mark talked earlier on about a presence and being excited. It's, there's an expectation because Jesus has made a way So this is not a sort of a flippant thing that has no value. He has made a way for us to come to him. So therefore, when we go in, we are expectant that God's going to do something. He might want to do some healing. He might want to reveal himself to somebody in a a new way. There's so much that can take place, but only if we're expecting it, only if we have a heart that is open for him. It means we have to lay down our own agenda in our choice, and allowing God to take his rightful place. You know, sometimes we have to get ourselves off the throne of our lives and allow God on. It's a deeper time there as well. So you're singing things that have a lot of significant meaning for you. You might be thinking about the stuff that God has done for you or the things that you're longing for that are on your heart. And then we go to the next part. So this is um, verse 5. For the Lord is good. This is where we're singing to God directly. Our saviour, our lover, our friend. It's our personal adoration of who he is. Loving him for who he is. So it's not about what he's done. You know, we've started our worship remembering what he's done, but we've moved into a place where we are loving him for who he is. The final bit is the holy of holies. Again, this is in verse 5 of Psalm 100. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And that still place where we wait for God to meet with us, where he quietens our hearts. We allow him to shape us, to soak in his presence. There's a profound union that takes place with Christ, a holiness, a transformation. And none of those things are things that we can do. Um, And I I mentioned this in, you know, in the uh, sermon that I did in the morning a few weeks ago. You know, we, we are a really able church. You know, if anyone was there this morning when they were playing all the different videos of the things that people do, there's loads going on. We've got, we're full of leaders. We're full of people who are consultants and people who kind of stand. They're very able. But this place that I've just talked about, that is a completely different place. You have to let God lead you. You cannot do that bit without his Holy Spirit in you. And to get to that point, Our pride needs to be put aside. Okay? We need to be humble. You want to receive God's blessings, you need to be humble. You need to lay down being in charge. Lay down, you know, getting on and doing and allowing him to come and meet with us. So that's the transformation there that I'm I'm talking about. There's that lovely passage in... Psalm 23, where the, he talks about 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. That is a picture of the, the innermost place. It's private. So you might, be, you might be surrounded by people and noise and music, but that, that's your time with God. So how can we apply this? <laughs> um, worship is a discipline. Worship's like prayer. You have to learn to do it. Um, it's, not, it's not based on being a music person, but there is something very vulnerable about using our mouths to tell somebody that you love them. It's not a very English thing. And we get, you know, if we're married or we've got people that we really trust, we can kind of learn that language. But you have to develop a language with God where you can tell him the stuff that's on your heart and you can use your mouth to proclaim your praise for him. And we don't do that enough. We don't do that enough for one another when we we need to encourage one another. We need to use our mouths like that. But we're also talking about using our mouths to worship God. What's really fantastic is the Bible is rich in sort of proclamations and truths. Jesus refers to himself as so many different names. There's loads enough in the psalm, loads of stuff in the Psalms. You can use that. You don't have to kind of stand and spontaneously start making up words if they're not there. But it's, it's a lovely place to be able to get to the point where you can say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you are so good. You know, I worship you. I give you my whole being. Jesus, I'm really struggling, but I know that you're a good God. And it's using our language to allow him, using truth. We are speaking truth um, to ourselves to help us to connect with God. It's not an added extra, by the way. It's an integral part of being a Christian. We are called to do it. Deuteronomy 6, right at the very, very beginning, says, You must love the Lord. We're called to do it. It's, it's, it's not something to, that we can get away from. You know, this, this is part of... Um, the transaction, you know, we're in a relationship with God. You know, what would it be like if I stopped telling Mark that I loved him? If I just stopped telling him? I might think I did, but I just didn't tell him. Or I, start, I stopped doing nice things for him. You know, love is, is an act, isn't it? You know, it's, yes, it, it feels lovely and when everything's all going wonderfully, but our love is an act, we do things. We show each other love. I don't mean act. I just realized what I just said there. I don't mean like acting. I mean it's an action. It's a thing that you do. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, it's not a spectator sport. Okay, I've got lots of uh, parents here. We're very good at kind of standing around the edge and watching what the kids are doing. You know, that's oh, great. They're all engaging. But we forget we're supposed to be in it as well. We're supposed to be there, humbly, just going for it ourselves. It's a place of realigning ourselves with God. I mentioned that before. You know, and that, that is such a major reason why pride is a problem. You know, worship, there's so much attack that happens around worship in all sorts of different churches, in all sorts of different contexts, because it is the place in our relationship with God where we meet him on a completely different level. So the enemy does not want us to worship. He doesn't. 
and will cause all sorts of things to try and stop that from happening. So can I just say now as a sort of an aside, please be praying for Joe. Please be praying for Alice as they kind of press into you know, worship ministry here um, because it's right on the front line. We're all called to be part of it. We're all called to be humble. It's all biblical. So pride has no place. You can't take pride to there. Okay, it will not get you very far. Meeting with God is a space for revelation. It's where God searches our hearts and our, and, and our very being. He gets right to the core. He gets past our labels and the things that we speak over ourselves and people speak over us. He just goes straight in to that place. Um, so it's giving worth-ship. It's a discipline. So um, I mentioned that before, but if you think about if you were training for a marathon, you wouldn't just be able to expect to run a marathon you know, and think, it, think yourself into it or agree that you're going to run a marathon. You actually have to train. And worship is that. And when I talk about sort of personal worship, you know, what, do you, you know, what does that look like for you at home when no one's watching? When you're having a bad week, when the kids are driving you up the wall, when you're stressed, when there's not enough money, you know, there's a surrendering and putting, laying that all down and just coming before the Lord and saying, I'm giving you worship right in the midst of all this. I haven't got very much, Lord, but this is what I have. Um, it's not about personal preference. I think we need to be wary of mixing up spiritual discernment with Christian preference, is what I put. You know, we've all got taste. We've all got stuff that we prefer and we don't like. You know, I've got, I definitely know what I like and I definitely know what I don't like. But it's about laying all that stuff down. And I think as church family, that's really important. That we, we're thinking for one another. We're trying to bless one another. And, you know, everyone's got an opinion, but actually the main bit is what's going on in your heart. What's, what are you thankful for this week? What are you wanting to give worship to, to God for this particular moment? Um, I had a friend um, called Rosalie. She's a really, really dear friend of mine. And I met her when Mark and her husband were doing training uh, in... Trinity in Bristol, and she was very different from me. Uh, she hated contemporary worship, absolutely hated it. She was brought up um, in, a, in a churchy family. She'd been sent off to boarding school. She didn't like things that were emotional, very, very ridiculous, um, and had lots to say on the matter. Um, and I remember one year, I took her to New Wine, and we were sitting, this was in the early days, we were sitting in a shed, I don't know, I can't remember what the original venue was called. Um, and uh, I think it was probably um, David Pitches, but somebody like David Pitches, who just invited the Holy Spirit to come. Now Rosalie was very sure that God did things in an orderly way. And so, you know, she was kind of uncomfortable with what we were doing and why we were doing it. Anyway, the Holy Spirit, in this massive place, of all the people he could have 
blessed, landed with a bang on Rosalie, and she started laughing and laughing and laughing really loudly. Um, and laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing, and just went on and on and on. And of course, everybody else started laughing around her, and it kind of the whole thing sort of exploded. But it was the fact that it was Rosalie out of everybody, and God had touched her and touched her heart so deeply that night that the, the laughter turned to tears, the tears turned to stillness, the stillness turned to her worship where she met with Jesus on, on a level that she'd never, ever known. She'd fallen in love with Jesus so much, but she'd never had that profound moment with the Lord. And he did so much in her life that night. And ever since then, it's like worship crazy. They're, they're out in Guatemala, big missionaries, looking after lots of people now, and they've got an amazing story. But God just went straight through and just met her. And he, lo- he just longs to do that for all of us. He, you know, that's what, this, the whole Bible, and if you, don't, if you don't know yet, I'm just going to find an actual Bible. This is a love story. The whole thing is a love story. It's between God and you, God and his people. And he just wants to get it right for us. Because there's so much. There is so much. Um, it says, because uh, it's been Christmas recently, you remember that verse in, in the bleak midwinter? And it's, uh, it says, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can I give him, I give him my heart. You might not feel like you've got very much. You know, and there might be a lot of stuff going on in your life at the moment. But God doesn't need your stuff just wants you, just wants you open and available. So we need to turn to him. So I'm going to do something slightly different. Uh, So I'd ask you all to stand, if that's okay. Um, And just for a little moment, we're going to forget we're English. Is that all right? So just turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not English. You actually might not be English. (laughs) Not English. Okay. Um, if If you find it difficult to speak stuff out that's kind of biblical, just open your Bible to the Psalms. And so you've got like something in front of you. So that's for anybody who wants. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to count down from three to one. And as a church fellowship, we are going to praise the Lord with our mouths. And we're all going to do it all at the same time. And we're not going to do it quietly. We're going to do it Korean style. Okay? So it's going to be loud. And even if you just say the same thing over and over again, it doesn't matter. Even if you are speaking in tongues and nobody else has got any clue about what you're saying, it doesn't matter. But I'm going to count us all in and we're all going to do it. So as we practice the art of worship, and it is an art and it is something, you know, and I'm not saying saying stand in the middle of the high street and start worshiping. You might want to do that. That's fine. But just, it's just those small things and build, build that up so it becomes a language, a love language that you are comfortable with. Um, Because everyone's different.